buy your Laracon tickets. Well, uh, welcome to the Laravel Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Stauffer, and I got two guys joining me. Uh, introduce yourself, guys. I'm Jeffrey Way. And I'm Taylor Otwell. Taylor, uh, King of Lag Otwell. All right, so we're back, and there's been a lot of stuff going on. Uh, it's been a couple weeks, so that we got a lot of things to catch up on. So the first thing, the biggest announcement that has happened in the last few weeks is Lumen, uh, the micro-framework from Laravel. So um, why don't you, um, Taylor, why don't you give us a little bit of an introduction about kind of what... What brought about, you know, what circumstances brought about your interest in writing something like Lumen and kind of what was the process like? And are there any kind of tidbits that haven't been shared in the various times you talked about or anything like that? Yeah. So Lumen, for those who don't know, is basically a micro framework based on Laravel. And it's extremely fast. It's faster than most other micro frameworks that are available in PHP. But it still gives you the convenience of things like Eloquent is ready to go or caching or uh, even queue jobs are all pretty much ready to go with just a few uh, configuration options. And so kind of the background of why I even wanted to write a micro Laravel framework is when I was writing Envoyer, there are two microservices that Envoy actually uses. One is for the cron heartbeat notifications. So when you make a heartbeat in Forge, which or in Envoyer, sorry, what that does is it basically alerts you when your cron jobs are not running. It will just ping you and say, hey, that uh, we haven't heard from this cron job in a while. You might want to check it out. But since just kind of the nature of that, where people are setting up these callbacks to call back to Envoyer from their cron jobs could be somewhat high traffic. Like if I had a thousand projects calling back to Envoyer every minute, I didn't want that hitting the main app. So what I actually did was write a little micro uh, service in Slim PHP that handles just that just that route, and it connects to the database instance using PDO and updates the last updated at timestamp for that cron job. And then I wrote another microservice for the post-deployment health check. So in Envoyer, when you deploy your project, it can tell you if the website is still returning a 200 status code. And I did that in Silex just for kind of a change of pace from the Slim app. But it really bugged me that like I didn't have a, a Laravel solution to that where I had all the Laravel convenience stuff that I wanted, like the simple database integration. I had to actually like manually create the PDO instance with the DSN string, set the database time zone and all that. And I just wanted something really quick and simple with the same Laravel syntax that I'm used to. And also some of the, some of the goodies like middleware and stuff. And so after uh, after that, I started toying around with this idea of the Laravel micro framework. And I went through actually probably like four or five iterations before I hit something that I actually liked. I know um, one of the questions that's been popping up a lot is, OK, you've, you've, you've noted that this is really great for building microservices. But what some people have asked is, well, is this appropriate for building just, you know, smaller, not really a microservice, still like a, a traditional web application, but not anything overly huge. Uh, so a lot of people are saying, like, well, well, should I just use Lumen instead of Laravel now? Or should I stick with Laravel and really try to use Lumen mostly for those little APIs and microservices and such? Uh, do you have any specific opinion on that? So while Lumen can actually do a lot of things that Laravel can do, even with authentication, 
I encourage people really strongly to use the full Laravel framework because it actually does have a lot more um, flexibility and extendability compared to Lumen, where Lumen is meant to be extremely, extremely fast out of the box. And because of that, it sacrifices some of the customizability of Laravel and the way service providers are loaded, for example, is in a very kind of hard-coded fashion. And so it works really great for those kind of microservices, but yeah, I would definitely go with Laravel for anything, even you know, remotely non-trivial, because I think it's just going to scale better when you as your app grows and stick to Lumen for kind of supporting that main Laravel app. Kind of like I I would have done with Envoy if Lumen was available, I would have two Lumen applications supporting kind of my main Laravel installation. And I kind of tried to make a point of that in the docs where if you look on the Lumen documentation, uh, last week I separated core features from kind of full stack features. And that was basically to give people a mental distinction of if you're digging down into these full stack features of Lumen a lot, maybe it's an indication to you that you should consider using the full stack Laravel framework. And I think that's an interesting point because you're, you know, you actually explicitly called them full stack. So it's not like you can't do any of the other aspects of the stack in Lumen, but the moment you start talking about anything in the stack that would need to be called full. So anything that's not backend, it starts to be a smell that Lumen, you know, and microservices might not be a good fit. So it's not to say that there's never any circumstance where there should be any view or a login or anything like that, but it's, it's going to be pretty infrequent. I think a lot of people see it as like, oh, well, this is small things and Laravel's big things. Well, it's not really that. No, yeah, I was going to say, just based on the even the Laracast forums, that's exactly what a lot of people are thinking. Like, oh, okay, now I have the thing I use for the basic stuff, and then for the bigger applications, I use Laravel. But that's really not what we're going for. So, so it's very cool that we can clear that up. And what's nice, actually, is say, say someone does choose Lumen, and it, they figure out uh, a few weeks later, like, oh, crap, we really should have used full Laravel, and it's really biting us. The nice thing is the transition is actually really easy. So it's not going to bite you as much as if you, say, chose um, another PHP micro framework, random framework, and then, and then wanted to move to full Laravel that has totally different syntax, totally different libraries, maybe an entirely different ORM. It's going to be a lot easier to make the transition from Lumen to Laravel. And so one of the conversations that came out um, when I did my first sample kind of like blog post of like, here's me using Lumen for, for a little microservice. Um, a friend of mine was quick to point out that's not technically a microservice. Um, so, and you know, what it really was, was it was a kind of caching layer in front of something else. Um, so I think maybe do any of you guys have a microservice? Cause it's, it's one of those things where like, you, you know, you know it when you see it, but I don't actually have a really solid definition for microservice. It, you know, I've seen a couple that I like. I think the ThoughtWorks article by Martin Fowler about microservices has the best kind of set of definitions when he starts talking about bounded contexts. But do either of you guys have a really easy way that you found to just kind of describe to someone what actually is a microservice? Because I feel like if we're saying, well, hey, Lumen isn't just about, but it's targeted and suited for microservices, it might be a good place to have a conversation about, well, what does that actually mean? I don't really have a real technical definition that I go by. I just tend to use more, it just tends to be more tailored to the application I'm using. So for me, it was more of a performance consideration, which it sounds like your example was too, where if you have something that's really high traffic or has, or you're kind of like proxying something that has high latency, that's a really good example. But I think a lot of people think of microservices as kind of um, these very small 
applications that basically do one thing and that can be that doesn't even have to be exposed over http but in this case it is with lumen but it's just something you can feed data to it does some small task and then gives you the result back and it's basically a very granular focused thing so you take like um what would traditionally be a large application you break it down into like small little pieces and then the idea is a lot of this stuff is easier to maintain because you're focusing on these little small things, and if, if something breaks, you just rebuild that again versus um, having a, a much larger application. But then that sort of goes into, I don't know if we want to get into this, sort of what you and I were talking about earlier, Taylor, this idea of some of the benefits you get when you really do embrace a, uh, a full-stack framework and what uh, some of the benefits that gives you. Is that something we want to get into today? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, like uh, what we're kind of alluding to, the way I use microservices, I just have one or two sprinkled in to support the main Laravel kind of monolith to use um, the term that's been going around recently. But that's not to say I would want to split every single thing that Envoy or Forge does into 20 or 30 different microservices because what you're alluding to, I think, is that that interesting quote by... Linus Torvalds about the, when you break something up into a lot of pieces, it, it's the pieces themselves are individually simpler, he says, but the complexity of wiring everything back together to be this cohesive application is adds a lot of complexity that you might not expect. It's interesting. There's an article going around recently about monoliths uh, versus, and it wasn't talking about targeting microservices. I wish I could find it. I Googled real quick and I couldn't find it, um, but uh, maybe we'll put in the show notes. I'll link it to one of you guys, but the, we've been building a project at Titan recently where we really segmented things a lot. And there's, you know, seven different Laravel applications that are all kind of tied together in certain ways. And then there's a couple shared code bases that they all rely on. And we're getting to the point where having them all separate to different Git repos even is proving difficult. And this article I was thinking about, there was something about the monolith. And they basically talked about the fact that a lot of these big people like, you know, Google and stuff are actually, they have one massive code base, but they do a lot of segmentation within the code base. And it reduces some of that complexity, even when it's not code complexity, it's just management complexity of plugging pieces together and our server architecture complexity of plugging pieces together. So I think one of the things I'm hearing from you a little bit, Taylor, is is not that we're saying, you know, especially looking at that Linus quote, is it's not that we're saying that make everything entirely separate because we recognize that there's some costs and some pains there, but rather like build your application, build your monolith, but find the places where there actually is a pain, where there actually is a difficulty in kind of whether this is the one massively over traffic section or maintaining this one is very different than maintaining the rest of the app or multiple apps may end up relying on this one or whatever it is. And we're talking about caches. We're talking about queues. We're talking about services that interact with externally. There's these things that almost seem to like segment themselves in almost, and I'm hearing a lot of parallels to like object-oriented programming here you, you know what doing one thing well and we start to identify what our components are and and you extract them when necessary but just like an oop premature optimization and over extraction can cause just as much pain as you know as spaghetti code could is that kind of is, is that a decent kind of summary of some of the things we're talking about yeah i think so i'm i mean i'm i'm no microservices expert i just kind of like you said i was building this kind of monolith app and sort of identified a couple spots where like, Hey, this would be really great if it was really a separate service and mainly for performance reasons in my case. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Cool. Um, so in terms of Lumen, um, a few people have asked questions about kind of the future of Lumen and, uh, you know, how, how up to date is it going to be kept relative to Laravel? And so the first response I had to that was, well, it's primarily relying on illuminate components. So it's going to be pretty up, up and fresh but there's anything you want to speak to that that question 
Yeah, sure. So people may not have noticed actually, but if you if you have a fresh Lumen installation and you do PHP Artisan dash dash version, it actually says Lumen five dot dot something, and then in parentheses Laravel five components. And so I I didn't do a one release of Lumen. I just jumped straight to five so that it will be when Laravel five comes out, Lumen five will come out, and it uses the Laravel 5.1 components. So they're always in sync. So there will never be a situation where Laravel is way ahead in versions and Lumen is really lagging behind because they, they stick together in terms of what base components they're using. And to segue kind of into our next topic, I think, with the event broadcasting stuff that was announced today, that will, of course, be available in Lumen 5.1, which will release basically the same day as Laravel 5.1, So since it's using the same components. Good. So we're not in some silly situation where it's like you update it on the Laravel end and then you have to go to the Lumen end and then add the code there. And that would just be a complete nightmare. Uh, So speaking of broadcasting events, I think this is going to be easily one of the coolest uh, features in Laravel 5.1. Taylor recorded a video for it at Laracasts. The basic idea is, okay, so we know that you can easily fire an event in Laravel. There's like a new event helper function. So you can just write event and then create an object like uh, we always use podcast was purchased in the documentation so that's cool you like you can fire an event and you can handle it however you want to but a lot of times as part of that as part of the process of handling that event you also want to communicate with your javascript right so you want to like send it through pusher so that your javascript can listen for when this action took place and then update the browser without a a page having to reload and traditionally this is always kind of a pain right you have some kind of like handler class and then there you pull in the pusher uh, library and then you use their library to fire it and then from your javascript you use pusher to listen for it and it all just gets kind of confusing so now in 5.1 uh, taylor added it's just a, an interface that you implement it's is it should broadcast taylor yeah should broadcast yeah you implement one interface and you're good to go so once again like it's so easy i mean for me especially this is something that i was badly craving so um you want to talk about that a bit more taylor yeah, so how I kind of got down that path of doing that is with, again, with Envoyer. And this is kind of a common trend with Laravel. Build an app, see little things that annoy me, and and kind of streamline those things. But with Envoyer, I noticed I, I use events a lot. So there's a deployment finished, deployment started, um, deployment failed, and all of those things in my event service provider has broadcast deployment finished, broadcast deployment failed, broadcast uh, deployment, whatever. And I noticed I was doing that basically for every event where I had a handler that basically just broadcasted onto Pusher and that's all it did. And so that's where I kind of got the idea to streamline this. I already have events. I just want to share them with the client. And if I could just tag them that they should be shared with the client and have this kind of backend agnostic way of publishing them, that would be really awesome. And so this is, it's sort of relevant because at the uh, recent RailsConf, um, I guess it was last week, DHH announced this thing called Action Cable for Rails, which is sort of a similar concept, although it sounded like uh, from his discussion that Rails was sort of only allowing you to use Redis PubSub for your WebSockets. And that's kind of in contrast with Laravel 5.1 event broadcasting, which we added a Illuminate Contracts uh, broadcaster interface that you can implement and we ship out of the box with a pusher broadcaster uh, a redis 
broadcaster and then a, a log broadcaster, which basically just writes your broadcast to log files so you can kind of debug what's happening. And uh, so it's database agnostic. And in the video, of course, if you've watched it, I use um, I actually use the Redis driver to publish out onto Redis and then consume that in a node app and publish the events to the client using socket.io. So that gives you a lot of flexibility, really having that backend agnostic framework for broadcasting events. Yeah, it's really nice. Well, what's coolest to me is like the event that you fire on your server side, if it's like event was was. I'm sorry, if it was podcast was purchased, that's the exact same event name that you would listen from your JavaScript. Everything's in sync. You're not in a situation where it's like you're sort of listening for a different event name here than it would be represented on your server side, where once again, it just kind of gets a little confusing. Now, man, it's it's so clean. Um, yeah, I, I really love it. I think people are going to to go crazy for this. It's kind of just one more roadblock removed, right? Like one thing I've been talking about in my recent Laravel talks, like in person, um, I recently gave a talk here in Arkansas and I talked about how Laravel is really centers around removing roadblocks from people's application development experience. And this is, this. I don't want to say this is a huge, big, uh, insurmountable hurdle for people, but it's just one little nitpick that if we can make easier, it's just that much more enjoyable. Yeah, and I said this um, in terms of integration, and I'll, I'll say this about a lot of other things. I are, are integrated. I'm sorry, I keep naming it wrong, but basically, things that get stuff that maybe a lot of us have just kind of like figured out out of the way for people who haven't figured out yet. Like now, how much how much pain is taken away from us being able to use this versus calling the SDK, you know, the pusher.com SDK in our in our handlers? Okay, it takes away some pain. You know, it's not like it's going to blow away, you know, your life. But the thing is, especially for people who aren't doing that right now, who don't see something like this as approachable, and the amount of work it's going to take for them to get up and running with basically WebSockets live in their application with Pusher.com is is unbelievable because now it's really accessible. You know, Pusher.com, you know, and do the, the, the JS, Pusher.js on your live site, you know, get your account set up. Uh, start broadcasting your events and instantly you have this kind of direct socket connection with almost no work. It's, it's, and, and you can go from there. It's not like it's so dumb that you can't use it for more complicated applications. But just like we were talking about with Elixir and with, you know, testing packages, it's just one less, I mean, exactly your wording, one less hurdle, which I really appreciate. But the other thing that I also like about all of these is even when you're not new at it, I really like having conventions. The thing that first sold me on Rails in the first place was that it had so many opinions and so many conventions that I just had to waste so much less time reinventing the same wheel or remembering how I reinvented it the previous time. The the cognitive, you know, the mental cost of trying to remember what I named it here. And of course, just like Jeffrey said, I would never name it quite right because maybe what I'd like camel case in my PHP and snake case in my JavaScript or whatever. You know, those things are cute, but they get in the way of just saying, oh, it's, you know, podcast was purchased here, podcast was purchased there. It has the same public data available and then you're done and you just move on with your day. Those, I, I feel like these are really my favorite things. It's both making the onboarding less costly, but also making someone who totally understands the system, making you jumping back into a system later less costly or into somebody else's system less costly because it's just all the same the whole way through the stack. I love that. That helps me a lot. Yeah, and I really like your point too about how someone that's already intimately familiar with broadcasting events, for them, this is just a, a minor convenience. You know, It's just a, a little cool thing that they can use. But we're kind of always trying to open up doors for people who are maybe scared to get into WebSockets. Or like with Homestead, people that... Um, when I first released Homestead, I remember that some people said, well, I could already do this with Chef or Puppet and code all this myself. And it's like, 
that's really great that people know how to do that. But we want to open the doors for people who have been apprehensive about these technologies and make it really easy for them to get on board. And that goes for, um, you know, all the way for Homestead, for Qs, and now for for live broadcasting of events with WebSockets. All right. Well, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to take advantage of that. I think this is one of those things where I geek out about it, and the first thing I think is, "Whoa, which of my existing applications for benefit should can benefit from WebSockets?" And I'm like, "No, don't use it just because it's fancy." But it is it is really. It, I, I was just talking to somebody the other day, and we were building an, a new app. Oh, it was in Titan. So Titan had a company on site. We all got in the same physical location for just a little bit of time, and we worked on an application together. And I was adding Twilio support, and it didn't totally need to be able to send text messages, but I just thought, you know what, if this is going to be a kind of one of those like big value ads where people are going to look at it and say, wow, that's really cool, even though it's only mildly actually useful. And I just remember actually having a justifiable need for adding text messages support to an app five years ago and just not doing it because the amount of work it would take to do it was just over, you know, it was overwhelming. And all these little things that we have that just make it more and more viable that when you have the idea in your application says it would be beneficial to my users if I could do X and it's just we're chopping down the cost it takes from you to have that idea to actually do it. Every time we do that, I think it's like a huge win for the the users of the framework. Yeah, that has always been my experience. It's not a matter of, yes, any of us can do this stuff, but it always comes down to like, how much time are you willing to put into this? Because like for me, I run a business where it's basically me. I'm the only one who does everything. So for every little thing I want to add, it always comes down to, okay, how much time am I willing to put toward this versus this other feature? And some of these things, like if you're not familiar with it, it's like, well, I'm going to have to spend hours and hours and hours learning about this technology just before I can begin implementing it. So if we can give users a way to just immediately get going, especially to the point where it's like, okay, you can get started using it now. And then you can get excited and learn more and you can dig deeper. I mean, that's always the way to onboard people. It's funny that in parts of our community, that's almost treated as like um, a shortcut, you know, or or not the correct way to learn. When if, if, if we just go through the past in our industry, that's always the way things take off. People were terrified of JavaScript and then jQuery comes along and makes it easy. And then people dig further into JavaScript and we have this massive javascript revolution i would say so much of that goes back to the fact that jquery made it easy for people who knew nothing about javascript to onboard and the same is true for like um like we talked about uh in laravel how easy it is to do handle queues or vagrant to homestead or even something as simple as using gulp uh or i'm sorry using elixir uh, to make Gulp just that much easier. You take like a thousand different little things and you make them um, 50% easier to use and you can see very quickly how um, successful Laravel has become. All right, so we got one last thing on the on the docket for today. And this is, uh, and I, I quote, if you got super rich and bought a luxury car, what would it be? I, this is not the most expensive car, but I, I would have to go for a Tesla right now, I think. Those are so cool. They are really cool. Yeah, I wouldn't mind a Tesla. I was just—I'm not a huge car guy. I don't want to offend Taylor because Taylor's always talking about like renting really expensive cars for conferences. I'm not a huge car guy. Like I read at one point, Conan O'Brien, even after long, long after he'd become a millionaire, he still drove like a piece <laughs> of crap car. Like I need to look it up, but it's like he drove like an old 1987 Volvo. I always loved that idea. Like if I became incredibly successful, I would still want to be that guy driving around a clunker just to, um, I don't know, make a point or, or yeah. keep myself in check or, or something like that. 
Well, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind a Tesla. I got to admit. I love how boring we are because I'm going to say almost the exact same thing. <laughs> a, tes- a Tesla sounds great. I saw my first one in person, and I was I was just wowed, man. That's a really nice car. And just just aside from all the things that I know about how good it is, actually seeing a person, I'm like, man, I like that car. But I think there's one thing that I, I the one thing that I can say is I think if there was something I was able to get where it's a, it's sturdiness and its strength. Um, and its reliability were kind of greater because I'm spending more money on it, that's something I'd be willing to do. So something like a Land Rover maybe, where I just feel like this is like a tough friggin' car where like it's going to last. And if I need to like kind of put it through some hard stuff, I could do that. I don't know if Land Rover is the perfect example, but something like that where I feel like I spent extra money and yeah, maybe it's a little bit nicer, but you know, if there's like, if the volcano erupts, like I'm the one who gets away because my car can handle it, that kind of thing. I do, I think something like that. Did you guys see that Tesla, they're releasing something like a battery pack this month? Have you guys heard about that? For your house? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that sounds really cool. The guys at Titan follow tech news way more than I do. So they basically just, I'm just parroting them. But we were talking at the onsite and they basically were saying at this point, Tesla is becoming a battery company that happens to make a car. And they're like, and one of the guys was like, yeah, it's pretty fitting considering the name is Tesla. And they're basically saying like they, the, the solar, like for example, solar apparently is as limited as is large as as it is largely in part because there are no good batteries so like apparently tesla making a huge incredible or a powerful incredible batteries that are not huge is going to revolutionize many industries not just cars i had no idea elon musk is such a genius he's a baller <laughs> he is a baller bored elon musk is one of my favorite parody twitter accounts all right, guys. Well, it has been a total pleasure talking to you again. Glad we're kind of back in this and back in the seat of things. So uh, this has been it for this week's Laravel podcast. Anything else you guys want to talk about before we go? Buy your Laracon tickets. <laughs> Buy them it's soon. Actually, Laracon US <laughs> and Laracon EU. Yeah, it's going to be really awesome. Definitely come and hang out with all of us. All right, guys. Well, it's a pleasure talking to you. I'll see you all later. See ya.